Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and I appreciate you joining me for another episode. I want to talk for a second about the name of this podcast and also the name of my app. I addressed it a little bit a couple weeks ago. The North American Waterfowler to me is an identity. It is a stigma looked at throughout the world is a group of individuals who have an obsession, who will go to any length, who will stand out in any type of weather, who will do whatever they need to do to chase North American waterfowler from up in Alaska to down the coast of California through the Central Flyway, Mississippi Flyway, Atlantic Flyway, there's a certain breed of individual that is called down to the depths of their soul to waterfowl hunt, where it is much deeper, much more than just a mild hobby. It goes down to the core of who they are. And it's something that's in their mind from the first day of January to the last day of December. And, and there's just these individuals are just a rare breed. And if you are listening to this podcast, if you listen to it throughout the course of the season and, and you identify as a North American waterfowler, you know exactly what I mean. There are varied tactics. There are different types of waterfowl hunting, but for some of us, 
it's 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 a it's almost a calling, something that goes down to the depths of our predator nature that's been passed down through us through thousands and thousands of years, and this is how it comes out. I can't imagine being a man who has no adventure in their life, who doesn't have a passion for something like waterfowl hunting. So those of you that are listening who feel that you are also fit this description of a North American waterfowler, thank you so much for being here. Um, Today, I'm going to go through my last couple hunts, do a couple hunt updates, and then I've got a couple comment of the weeks, and that'll be the episode for today. Uh, We are going to do a Woody recording over on Patreon. So if you want to come over and watch that, that's going to happen next week. I don't have the day yet. I got, I got to get in touch with Woody and set that up. I don't have a day, but we're going to do a batch recording of five. So if you want to come over and join that with us and watch the video feed, that's going to be coming real soon. Um, We only do those about, um, you know, once every couple months. So if you want to watch me and Woody record these and comment in the comment section, come on over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And you can join the fun there. So this season is really coming to a close quickly. We've got four more weekends. And the weather is finally going to hit. Um, If you're looking at the long term, I'm going to look at my personal weather. Um, I live in Kansas. I hunt Kansas, Missouri sometimes Missouri, Nebraska. Those are kind of the three areas that I hunt. I've also been down down into Oklahoma. I've hunted Arkansas. But for the most part, I am a Midwest Central Flyway hunter. And as you guys know, this year has been, I would say what stands out about this year is the weather. We are in an El Nino weather phase, and that means um, temperatures off the Atlantic, no, Pacific coast, are warmer, the water's warmer than normal. And it causes this pattern of the jet the jet stream to get stuck in this pattern where from about Kansas north, you've got drier than normal conditions and you also have warmer than normal conditions. And you just get stuck in this pattern. And that is what we've seen throughout the course of this year. And, and I, I would say this has defined the waterfowl season for most of us in this country. This the weather has sucked it's but still it's not like there hasn't been any ducks around i've shot more ducks this year than i've ever shot in my life at this time it's just been a really strange migration where most of the geese and most of the mallards have stayed north but we're going to get to the point now where it looks like we're finally going to get some weather i'm recording this on the 4th releasing it on the 5th of january where we're supposed to get some snow Lows in the 30s. Now, the weather's really going to start to turn, it looks like, about Monday the 8th, where we've got rain turning into snow, low of 28. From that point on, Tuesday, high of 31, low of 19. Wednesday, low of 24. Then Thursday, um, we're going to go through a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8-day period where it does not get above freezing. So we are going to get a hard freeze. Finally, we're going to get a hard freeze. This is the first hard freeze that we have had the entire year. Normally by now, we've had a couple freezes come and go. And so we will see what's going to happen. We've got a couple nights in the single digits, nine, six, six, four, six, nine. So it's going to get serious here real quick. It's going to get serious real quick. Now that means 
that everyone's going to benefit from this. Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, everyone is going to benefit from this as the Ducks are going to finally get pushed down south. One indicator that we look at is, is we want people up in the north. We want them ice fishing. We want to hear about them ice fishing. We want to see pictures on social media, people ice fishing, and that just hasn't happened. That just hasn't happened. So we definitely have birds, and there's birds around, but we're looking for that mega push, that that massive push down, and it looks like it's going to happen. So really, really exciting that this cold weather is finally coming and coming in force. So here we go. We're going to see how this how this season ends. Um, and I can't wait to do it. One thing I was thinking about after the season ends, so probably like February, part of March, I am going to get a slew of guests come on and we're just going to review people's waterfowl seasons. I'm really, really interested to talk to people about how'd you feel like this waterfowl season went? What was the weather like for you? What do you think contributed to whether it was the success or the lack of success. How does this season compare to the rest? And I'm just going to really pick people's brains. I'm going to try to get some people from every flyway on this and just probably do like a eight part series on it where we just talk about season in review and have people look back at the past and see what their perception is. I find that it's very, very interesting. And oftentimes you get people with different opinions and different thoughts on um, why things were the way they were, whether they had a good season or poor season. So I think that that will be really, really interesting. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring that to you. So, um, let's go ahead and talk about the sponsors and then we will jump right into, um, the two hunts that I've been on since then. We'll take a little break and I've got a song that I'm really excited to share with you today. And then we will do two different comments from comment of the week section. So final approach is where I am getting most of my waterfowl equipment from. I was just on the website today. And and like you guys, I've told you, Rogers and final approach are kind of tied in together. Um, but the final approach has all the decoys you need, all the blinds you need, all the clothing, the waders you need. And one item that I'm very, very happy about this year is their front zip waders. I got the brown, which I've really been in kind of wearing the brown the last few years um, instead of your traditional camo. I just kind of like how that looks. But these front zip waders, these insulated from Final Approach, I have used them the entire season. If I can get through this last month, this will be the first pair of waders for me that have made it an entire season without leaking since I do not remember the last pair. I cannot remember the last time I had a pair of waders make it through an entire season without a leak. And so I cannot be I cannot be any more proud of a set of waders and happy to represent a set of waders if these make it through the whole year. Typically I get about 13 or 14 hunts before I have waders leak. With the old neoprenes it was the seam leaks. Um, and with the breathables I've been wearing, it's been a little bit harder to gauge because when I was working with banded and Avery, I got a, like, I, I had four pairs of waders, so I interchanged them. So it was kind of difficult to gauge how well that they did. Um, I know that they did pop leaks in them semi-frequently, 
Um, I, in, in like three years, I ended up with, with, I think six pairs, six or seven pairs of waders from them. And I can tell you after three years and seven pairs of waders, I have three of those seven that are still usable. So that kind of tells you how quickly I was going through those, but these front zip final approach waders, I really, really like them. So if you are looking for waders for next year, it's something you might try. And I will keep you updated on those. And if they leak, I will let you know that. But I'm, I really like those waders. Uh, FABrand.com. The code there over at Final Approach is FDH10, where you can get 10% off. Onyx Hunt is an app that is going to help you pin your locations, track yourself when you're on the locations, and give you satellite imagery, recent satellite imagery, um, tell you the, you can actually go and pick out your favorite spots and set up alerts for different wind. So you set up a spot and it, and you feel like, man, I only like hunting these spots on North wind days. Um, it will, it will show you when the optimal day is to hunt that. So if you look at the pen and it's got this little gauge around it and it'll give you like a lighting system as to whether it's prime wind for that location, There's just so many cool things over there on Exxon. And Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader, I've talked about it a lot. I've been I've been previewing that in my videos a lot the last month as well. You can use the four, the seven. You can add. I mean, you can build it out. It is phenomenal. And there's more and more people that are going to these smaller sets with just Motion Ducks, where you get all of your ducks moving. Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader. Again, that is FDH10 as well. And then the app, the North American Waterfowler app, where um, you can log all of your hunts and get historical data. I've been logging there for a long time. I almost have 500 hunts logged over there and I can go through and see patterns of different areas and different locations and really take my data and, and make myself a more successful waterfowl hunter with that data and also track retrieve for Georgie. There's so many different things to do over there at the North American Waterfowler. You can find that on the website, northamericanwaterfowler.com or on iOS or Android, just search North American Waterfowler. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the hunt updates. I have been on two hunts, and normally during the holiday season, I go on more hunts than two. But this time, I only I only went on two, and I think partly that was because the heart attack that I had uh, on, um, let's see, what date was that? About the 20, the 19th, 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th, something like that. So, yeah, that was the 18th where I had my heart attack. And so I was a little bit reluctant to do a lot of hunting. The medical advice that I got is I can pretty much hunt as normal, but they don't want me to overexert myself. And when I hunt, I do a lot of overexerting myself. So I really can't be walking in and dragging sleds. I just can't. I, I don't want to push that um, my heart rate up too high right now. Um, so I've had to take it easy a little bit, boat hunting and, and just making sure to not really, not really get that heart rate going. So the first time, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to my YouTube videos. I put out a YouTube video and I talked about this hunt, the hunt the day before or two days before I had my heart attack, where there's this little riverside channel and man, did I ever find the mallards back in this pool? And it was an epic hunt. The... Um, you know, the decoying wasn't just the best in the world, but everything else about the hunt was just spectacular. And the video was seemed to be resonating with people because a lot of people are watching that. So I wanted to go back to that place. And I really believed 
that birds were going to be in there um, for a while. I didn't think they were being hunted a lot at all. The way they acted, I didn't think they'd been hunted at all in there. And I thought they were going to be there a lot. So I went with my buddy Jacob, and we went back into that spot. We put on, um, we went in by boat this time, and we put on at about shooting time. And we got in there, and unfortunately on the boat ride, we just didn't see anything. We didn't see anything on the way in. We saw like one group of six. I'm like, oh, man, not good, not good. And we went back to the same spot, found the same side channel, didn't flush anything out of there. So we really had no other choice. Like, let's just go ahead and set up and see what happened. We were set up by about, I'd say, 9 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock, something like that. And we just weren't seeing birds. And we were laying in that same log pile we had been in last time. And Jacob was standing up and stretching his legs and talking. He had been, been standing up for quite some time. And I remember thinking, man, I hope birds don't show up. And he was talking to me and I saw his, his eyes just get <laughs> huge as saucers. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. And as he was looking the other direction, he saw 20 mallards come over the trees, just locked up. Not not circling, not coming in to kind of look like locked up. And he dove down into the blind. They circled two or three times. And luckily, two drakes dropped out of this group and we each killed a drake. What would have happened if he had been down and said, I don't know. But I felt really, really fortunate that we each killed one on that because, man, these birds, so they, they really wanted in here. So we were actually to the point of the day. This was probably about. 10 15 when this happened and we were to the point of the day of like man let's go till 11 o'clock and just see what happens um because we had been hunting like two and a half hours literally just hadn't even seen a bird we killed those two drakes i'm like well that's gonna that's gonna cause us to stay a little bit later so we put in another two hours i think we started picking up at 1 30 and we just didn't see anything else for whatever reason they weren't using it and i think that i really made a mistake uh when we hunted this place because every time i had scouted i had scouted this place twice and hunted it once and every time it was evening it was like 2 30 on when when i had seen birds in there and that day we hunted it from like 10 o'clock to 1 30 so i just wonder if those birds would have showed up about 2 30 3 o'clock i probably without any other scouting i should have said let's show up there at noon and hunt that thing noon to sunset and I think I made a bad mistake doing that um, because maybe that's just where they were. Maybe that or when that they were in there. Maybe that's just their, the spot they go into in the night and they were, would have still shown up and we just missed it by the time. So I, I think I made a mistake on that. But, um, you know, not the best hunt in the world to say the least. I still enjoyed hunting with Jacob. We had never hunted before. Uh, Cooper, his dog was there with Georgie. They each got a retrieve. So it was still an enjoyable time. Still enjoyed my time out, and it was really nice after my heart attack to get back into it and get out and hunt again. Because if I'm being honest, I was nervous about hunting again after that heart attack. I was nervous. We were going to be a good hour from the boat ramp, and, <clears throat> you know, that was, I'm trying to think how many days. I mean, that was a good eight days after my heart attack, but it was just nice to get back out, not be inside on the couch, and um, just get up and get moving back back to normal. So the second hunt 
I went with my buddy Philip Boyles, which if you've watched my videos, you've seen him quite a bit. He's been in, I don't know, three or four videos this year as we've hunted together. And on this day, um, I didn't have a lot of information about where we were going to hunt, but we were hunting a reservoir that had gained quite a bit of water. And so I had not been out there since it had gained this water. And, and I really don't like going out to a place and just randomly setting up um, and not knowing what the conditions are. So that plan, again, like the one before with, with Jacob, was let's get there at sunup or shooting time, put the boat on, go look around, figure it out. Well, now, and, and, I, and I will say this. There are times when if you're putting your boat on the marsh at shooting time, it's really annoying and really distracting because, you know, someone comes into a marsh right at shooting time. It, it can put the marsh to a stop until that person is settled. This area was bigger than that. And my, my general rule for boating in at shooting time is the size of the location. I'm not going to put my boat on a small marsh where there's some marshes where if there is a boat with a motor on, no one is shooting any, any ducks until that boat has settled. This place was not like that. So if I put a boat on a place and I feel like it's not going to really disturb the people that are in there while I'm in there, then I'll put it on at shooting time. And if not, I won't. So this was a place I felt okay about doing that. And I could not believe the number of people that were hunting this place. I was, I was shocked. Um, there was someone set up in every single place that we checked and kind of wanted to set up in every single place. It was to the point where we were just kind of floating in, in this Creek channel away from everyone. Like, where the hell are we going to set up? And the, on the, on the positive side of it, there was a lot of big wads of mallards coming into the marsh. Now, unfortunately, out of all the groups in there, there was two groups who were not hidden, who were just standing around right by their boats, not hidden. And what I noticed happening is that big wads of mallards would, would try to come into this area. They would start circling, and one of these two groups would take a shot at about 55 yards, and it'd be done. And that is always so discouraging when you're hunting. Because once mallards start working, it, you know, it, it, this can happen over a decent sized area. If a big group, big bunches of mallards come into an area and there's five groups in there, typically one group's going to get a shot. <coughs> so it does leave you in kind of a bad situation if you're hunting it because you're like, well, there's, there's a bunch of mallards around. The first person that pulls the trigger is going to get the shot. And if you wait and try to finish something, and someone else gets a shot before you do, it's over. You're done. It leaves you in a bad position of taking hasty shots. So I understand at the same time, we were in there during this happening, and there was about four different times where this took place, and no one was shooting birds. No one was shooting birds because, and maybe these guys clipped one of these birds at 55. I don't know. But no one was killing birds because these guys were taking these haphazard shots. And so we investigated the whole area. There was so much water in there. There was one group 
that I wanted to go and hunt past them. I wanted to pass them and go 250 yards beyond them and get clear in the back. And so as we kind of went up by them, I was like, Hey, sorry that, um, I'm interfering your hunt where we want to get past you guys, you know, really apologize about that. And they're like, it's all right. We're picking up. We're leaving. They're like, these guys keep taking these shots. If these guys weren't shooting those shots, we could easily shoot our limit in here, but there's no way we're going to because of these guys essentially. And they're really frustrated. So they're like, we're leaving. And that was actually really good for us because we hadn't set up. I liked it was actually my a spot that I wanted to set up in. And it was only about 150 yards from any other group because they said, well, we had been here before them. They came in. They just set up 150 yards from us. They didn't care we were here. They just did it. And so Phil and I was like, well, these guys are picking up now. Let's go another 200 yards back into this flooded area and see if we can find something that's away. Because I felt really good about it at this point in time. Because there had been, like I said, there had been – like you look up and see a couple hundred birds coming up out of the heavens. And I thought, man, I'm going to outlast these other guys. Cause now if you get out of state hunters, they're a lot more likely to hang out and hunt all day. But generally speaking, if they're not people aren't having great success, they normally leave by nine 30 or 10. So I'm like, Phil, let's just, let's get back in here. Let's get set up. Let's just outlast these guys. And I felt really, really good about this. So we pushed back in. We found this nice little tree spot where it'd be great cover. And the hole wasn't great, but we kind of made a little bit more of a hole. And that's where we set up. And it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be, but it was now we're like 400 yards from these other groups. And I liked that. And, um, but I felt like the, the habitat wasn't quite as good as where these other guys were set up, where we were kind of replacing but we set up and really soon we had three green wing teal come right into the decoys, killed one, got a click on the second one, which I've had a couple clicks lately um, since I've been on the river. And that was disappointing. But I killed, I'm like, well, that, that makes me feel good. Anytime, anytime with, with, when we're hunting a hole that I've never hunted before and I don't have that much confidence in, um, which each group that comes in, the confidence just starts swelling for me. So those teal came right in and did it perfectly, and I killed one. I felt really good about that. Then a, a few minutes later, we had mallards in the air, and this group of two dropped out of there, and we probably could have waited a little bit longer, but Phil popped the hen, um, actually clipped it, and we didn't we didn't retrieve that duck. But the fact, the way these birds were acting about our hole made me feel like okay if if there's if the mallards continue to move we're going to be able to shoot mallards here and that was the moment i'm like okay let's let's get a few more decoys let's get settled here and just put in time here because i think i think that we can do it here and only about 20 minutes after that a group of 20 mallards showed up and they circled a couple times and just came and finished perfectly and looking back on it, I wish I had waited on calling the shot. I called the shot at a decent time. We killed four out of it. I killed two. Phil killed two. Actually, he, Phil scotch doubled. And we didn't even know that he had scotch doubled until I watched the video. So we we thought we'd killed three out of it. We really killed four. So, I mean, I didn't call the shot poorly. But if I would waited another second, I think it just would have been a little better. And so to have a group of 20 just come in. I mean, this this group 
was like circle, circle, boom, just perfect finish. At that point, I'm like, man, this is going to be an epic day because we're way back in off the beaten path now. We've just had two separate incidences where Mallards are acting really, really good and landed a big group like that. I mean, it's not easy to land a group of 20. That is not an easy task. I felt just like, man, this is going to be one of those amazing days. And unfortunately, from that point on, we barely even saw anything. We had a couple of the times where there's some mallards that were kind of circling us. They didn't act like the ones before, and that was it. We hunted that down until, <coughs> I can't remember, one or two o'clock. And I was just shocked. I was just shocked. The, the movement just died from what it was in the morning, and I don't know why. Because normally, you know, that 10 to 2 time is fantastic. And we shot that group of 20, like I think 1030 or something. And I was just really, really surprised that that's how the day landed out. So I ended up with three ducks, filling it up with um, two on, on that scotch double. Unfortunately, we didn't retrieve him, though it was dead. But I cannot be disappointed with a hunt like that. Anytime that you have a group of 20 just completely finished, you can't be and you can't be unhappy. I mean, that was just so much fun and shooting a double out of that. A little disappointing that it shut down, but I absolutely love the place that we were hunting. And so it was a fun hunt. So over those two hunts, I ended up with four ducks. So two point average. Um, three of them are mallard drakes, and one of them was a green wing teal. So um, like I said, can't say I'm disappointed in that hunt, but Really thought it was going to be something different, something special. So there's my hunt updates. Let's go ahead and jump into a break real quick. And then I will be right back with the comments of the week. So I was thinking about what song I wanted to play. And, and I, this, I was on Spotify today, sitting at work, and this song came on. And off my like list. And it just hit me. One thing that is so cool about music is that, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. You can imprint music into yourself and it can work as a form of nostalgic memory for you. So if you have like this, this song I'm going to play for you is from Jose Gonzalez. And there was a point in time where I had about five songs from Jose Gonzalez that I was just listening to nonstop. And when I listen to things nonstop, I mean, like I listen to them nonstop. Like that's all I will basically listen to for three or four weeks. And it just so happened that I was listening to this when I, we went on a trip to Scotland with my parents, my mom, my dad, and my wife, and I went to Scotland. And when we were in Scotland, I was the driver and, oh man, it was so crazy because we took this flight over there. It was like a 24 hour flight, went to Philadelphia and then landed over in Scotland. And so when, and I don't, when I go on trips, I'm so excited. I don't sleep. I love the flight. I love that whole aspect of it. And I don't sleep on planes. So when we landed down, it was like seven o'clock in the morning there and like 4 a.m. for us. I like had not slept at all. So, you know, you have that feeling when you haven't slept of, of just kind of being groggy. Like it almost feels like a dreamland. So, um, Oh, if we're in Edinburgh or Glasgow, I can't remember. Um, but so we rented a car 
they threw me in the driver's seat, but the, you know, over there, your driver's seat is on the steering was on the right hand side inside of the left hand side. So I'm in this big city on the left hand side and having to navigate traffic. And, and over there, they've got a, like a lot of roundabouts, except the roundabouts work completely opposite as how they do here. And I just remember the stress like, oh my gosh, like trying to deal with opposite traffic like that on no sleep. But I learned to, um, I got the hang of it really, really quickly. And we were there for like 10 days and driving started being one of my favorite parts of the trip. Cause my wife is a notorious passenger sleeper. So we would travel distances. We'd going up to the highlands or going to see this castle or whatever. And we would put on these, these drives of like an hour or two. And during that time I put in my earphones and the whole time I was just listening to Jose Gonzalez the whole time. And I went through that Jose Gonzalez phase and just all through Scotland. That's pretty much all I listened to. Kind of got tired of Jose Gonzalez. Stopped listening to it for like half a year. I don't remember a year or whatever. And then I kind of went back to listening to it again. And when I went back and started listening to that music, it's like the feeling of being in Scotland. Like I could almost smell it. The feeling it's like I burned that feeling of what it felt like to be in Scotland driving through the countryside. I somehow attached it to that music and associated it to, to a depth. Like you can do this with smell too. Have you ever had a smell of something that like takes you back to like, Oh my gosh, I remember that as a kid. And it like, it's like a time warp for you that just boom, you feel it. You, you, you can remember it. It's like you, you can remember it in a way that is way deeper than a memory. If that makes any sense. And that's what happened with this Jose Gonzalez. I had another similar thing happen with a, with a okay computer radio head CD from a different time, but you can do that with music. It's such a cool thing. And, and that's what happened whenever I listened to Jose Gonzalez. I, I remember that Scotland trip at a whole different level. So I'm going to play this song for you. This song is Crosses from Jose Gonzalez. Don't you know that Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right. Thank you for coming back with me. We are going to get two comments of the week here. So let's go ahead and jump into comment of the week. It's time for comment of the week. All right. Comment number one comes from Stephen Knight, 7601. And he says, are y'all thin on birds? Your older videos seem to have a lot more big ducks. I've been noticing that the migration of my area has seemed to get less and less each year. Or should I say later and later? (coughs) Excuse me. We seem to get our biggest push at the end of the season and beyond. And yeah, the last two years, that has been the case. I I don't believe that it is a long-term situation for us. I think it's just based on the weather. It's just based on the weather, and this year has been the El Nino, and that means warmer weather. And when you get warmer weather, you get a later migration, and that's what's happened this year. The I fully believe that in the next five years, we're going to get back to some normal winters with a lot of ice and a lot of freezing. I think that just it's it's varied. I I, I personally think it's just this is a short term issue. I don't think it's a long term. But yeah, I have only shot 13 Mallard Drakes this year. That's way below what I would normally be at, probably half. Um, I don't, I, you know, on a good year, um, I have shot over 100 ducks like three times. So on a normal year, I'll shoot somewhere between 75 and 100 ducks. If I have a really good year, I'll get up over 100. And out of that, I'll shoot somewhere between 22 and 38 Mallard Drakes. Um, It's normally the number one duck that I shoot. I shoot Mallard Drakes. And blue winged teal would be number two, green winged teal, gadwall in that order. So it's normally my number one duck. And so I'm probably about half of what I would normally be at this time. And the same thing last year. But that will change as the weather changes. And I fully expect in the next few years, we'll get back to a lot more normal winters. And the the migration will seem um, different. And we've been in a drought now. This is year three of a drought. So it's not just cold. It's the drought too. So, you know, we, we, we are just in a tough time as far as waterfowl. And as we come out of this drought, which will happen, and as the winters become a little more normal, which will happen, then things will get back to the way that they were. Um, it, at least I, I can't predict far down south. I, I know that um, talking to some people, you know, you're talking Arkansas and Louisiana, they have circumstances that are a little different than what I would consider just like the central flyaway from North Dakota down to Texas, which is really kind of my zone of knowledge. And and I think we will get right back to normal with very, very shortly. So thank you for sending in the question, Stephen. The second question is J Ray Mond Fox. And he says, what do you do with all the birds you shoot? What are some of the ways you cook them? This is something I want to get better at. I want to be less lazy about, about how they're cooked. Um, I want to get more varied. So when I eat duck, it's one of the main ways that I eat them is I will cut them into, um, not tiny pieces, but strips, marinate them just in some steak seasoning and olive oil for about 24 hours and just barbecue them. If you get that with mashed potatoes and like stuffing that three mix and put barbecue on them, that is absolutely delicious. And not only is it delicious, you can consume a lot of duck quickly. When there's certain recipes where they're great recipes, but you know, if I'm shooting a hundred ducks in a season, I want to, there's on a, when I have a duck, I want to consume a lot of duck. And so my wife will cook it. She won't eat it. 
my kids are kind of eh on duck. Um, and so when I when the meal's made for medium, I want to eat a bunch of them. But my 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 wife makes a Southwest egg roll, which is everybody's favorite, is insanely good. We also do Philly cheesesteak sandwiches with them. Um, my wife will do a pasta. She does all the cooking, like I said, of the duck. And when she cooks the duck, they never taste gamey. It always tastes tastes delicious. So she'll bread them in a panko crust with pasta. Um, sometimes I'll do sloppy Joe where you just put them into little tiny cubes and put them into the sloppy Joe mix. And that's really the, the, the bulk of it. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. I did make duck poppers um, for New Year's Eve. I normally don't make duck poppers. Um, I do like them, but again, that's a, that, that is a way where you're not going to consume that much of your duck. Cause there's so much other into it with the cream cheese and the jalapenos and, and um, now this was a little different. We did, couldn't find um, jalapenos. So what I did is I just used small bell peppers and then I got the little circular jalapenos and put it. So I put cream cheese, a little slice of duck and an actual jalapeno inside of um, little smaller bell peppers and then wrapped it with bacon. And that was actually really, really good. I mean, I only did it that way because they didn't have the type of jalapenos that you could hollow out and put it inside. And I, it was a really, really good recipe. I really, really liked it. I'm trying to think if there's any other way um, that we could. That, that's really the main brunt of when we cook them. It's, it's those. Um, you can just fry. Oh, well, we'll fry them up a lot just in that panko crust and just have like, you know, little nuggets of them. That's really good that way too. But you've got to be careful because you can definitely overcook them if you're going to do it in that manner. So I think that does it. I think so. That's all I have got for you guys today. Don't forget, come on over to Patreon and watch this recording with Woody. I need to talk to Woody. I'm going to see him if we can do it on Monday. You're listening to this on Friday or Saturday or something, so it's coming quick. Um, But then once I have on those guests, I'm going to get all the Flyways Collective guys. I'm going to line up like, I'm hoping to line up like eight different guests just to review their season. And I'm going to put the majority of those on the live stream on patreon where you can see those guys and interact with them and comment and then we will have patreon only sections of those as well where the con where it'll be special patreon um only content so come on over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting to get in on all of that if you ever want to have a chance to be on comment of the week then you can email me get me on facebook join the facebook podcast group um, and submit a question to me there or just comment on one of my YouTube videos. Um, some of those make it on there as well. So thank you for listening. You have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Streets outside your Sunlight